Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan. I am Jason Padolan, your host of this podcast. And today you're here for episode 40, where we have on Mr. Ken Reed of Sportsnet fame up here in Canada. For you American listeners, that is kind of the equivalent to your ESPN down in the States where they cover the highlights and the sports. And uh, he's a co-anchor with Ivanka Osmak up here and... Uh, well-liked by the Canadian community. Ken does a great job on air. He's also an author, and uh, he's also a massive hockey fan. And when Ken Reed called me and asked if I'd like to be a part of his new book called One to Remember, I wasn't sure what to say. Ken wanted to tell the stories of various players who scored a grand total of one NHL goal in their careers. I liked the idea, but a piece of me didn't want to go down that road and you know telling my story about my one goal would require me to admit there should have been more and perhaps have to explain why I underachieved and I wasn't sure if I wanted to go there because for me one goal my one goal had always been an example of a failure failure to have the career I dreamed of failure to step into my potential as a player failure to be able to figure out how to become an NHL regular. But working on the book with Ken helped me to change that a little bit. And he made me recognize actually what a huge accomplishment one goal is. Scoring a goal in the NHL has only been done by 5,000 other humans ever. So regardless of what could have been, might have been, or should have been for me, I did score a goal in the greatest league in the world. And that goal represents pints of blood, buckets of sweat, and pools of tears that were all donated in its pursuit. Countless hours on buses, at the rink, and riding the bike, invested in the chase for more. But for some of us, there was only one. And that one to remember, as Ken would say, um, can never be taken away from us. So thank you, Ken, for reminding me that my one goal against Ron Hextall and the Philadelphia Flyers is something to be proud of not something for me to look at with embarrassment. So I'll try to remind myself of that the next time I see my goal plaque and I should hold my head a little higher and smile a little more gratefully because it does represent something that is very, very special. So this is a great conversation with one of the nicest guys in the game. Ken Reed is a grinder, a professional, and he knows how to treat people. He also knows how to tell a pretty damn good story and you get a lot of them here on this episode. There are lots of parallels that we can take from Ken's journey to the mountaintop too. His intention, his coachability, his accountability, and his practice. You want to be good at something? Grab those four traits with both hands, and I like your chances. There's a lot in this interview. It was a great time. He's a guy that you feel like you're sitting across the table from and having a beer with, and I hope you get that feel uh, with this conversation. And it's also the way Ken says he likes to write his books. So... Uh, without further ado, 
I hope you enjoy my interview with Mr. Ken Reed. All right, here we are back for episode 40 of Up My Hockey. Uh, today we have on, well, you are a hockey player, but you're uh, <laughs> not a professional hockey player. Nope. And you are the first professional anchor or broad is broadcaster even the right word to use uh yeah, could i use yeah. that yeah yes absolutely yeah first broadcaster to be on the show mr ken reed thank you for joining today thanks jason yeah i am the furthest thing from a professional hockey player i dreamed of it but you know what not everybody can make reality like you did uh, <laughs> I, I was no, no pro buddy <laughs> That's funny. Well, I want to get into that. I mean, your Genesis story and, and, you know, the connection between wanting to play hockey potentially and chatting about it or talking about it or broadcasting it, maybe, uh, maybe a straight line. Is that, is that how it went? Like, did you want to be the player realized you couldn't, and this was kind of the next best thing? That's exactly it. Like, it's funny. A lot of guys in our business are that we're all pretty much want to be players. I mean, I don't know many guys in the, in sports media who went into it as their first choice in life. You know, when you're a kid, I think you probably dream about being the player first and then you realize, okay, I'm not going to make it. How do I stay involved in this world? How do I eke into this world and, and be a part of this toy department of life? So hmm. honestly, Jason, for me, I'll never forget. I got caught. I think it was from the novice one team in Picto when I was maybe eight or nine. And I was bummed because I realized at that very young age, oh my goodness, I mean, I'm not going to make the NHL. If I can't make the novice one team in Picto, town of 5,000, how can I make the NHL? And, and so a lot of kids keep the dream going, you know, till they're 14, 15. For me at eight, it was over. And I was, de I was devastated. So I went home and like, <laughs> I was, I don't know if I was crying in my Pepsi or what with my dad, but there was a game on and I'm, I think it was an Expos game. So it must've been, this must have happened in like late September or something, somewhere around that. I don't even know what I was doing playing hockey then. But there was a game on and dad said, well, the guys who talk about the games, they get to go to all the games for free. And boom, the light bulb literally went on. And I was like, oh, my God, they, they do. And I remember that's what I wanted to do. And there was times when I said, OK, maybe I'll be a physiotherapist because my dad was a doctor. When you're a doctor's kid, you want to like keep the medical dream going a bit. But that was, wasn't going to happen. So I wanted to be a broadcaster from the youngest of age. So when I watched Hockey Night in Canada, I love the players and I love the broadcasters just as much. So like Bob Cole, I love Wayne Gretzky. I'm from the Gretzky school. I'm sure you are too, or the same age pretty much. And I love Bob Cole just as much and Dick Irvin just as much and Danny Gallivan just as much. And I just absorbed everything about the game. And just because I, I knew I couldn't make the National Hockey League, that did not lessen my love of the game. But I found myself going okay there's a there's a different way to get into the games for free i won't be able to play but maybe i'll we can do a game for free and i actually right. have got it i've gotten into lots of games for free because i'm <laughs> member of the media so that's how it worked out that is so wild uh my father i, I just actually did a podcast uh why well, i'm actually the guest on my most recent one 39 yeah and uh it was, it was for a podcast that never went live that I did an interview for. And I told the story of my dad taking me to the uh, 85 All-Star game in Calgary. I believe it was 85. Oh, dude, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And so it was my birthday present. And so my dad was, is, is a little bit of a maverick himself and a cowboy. And, and he had this idea that he was going to print off a homemade press pass for us. Amazing. And that was his idea to get into the dressing room. So he had a lanyard, right? He printed press on it. Like, 
laminated the thing. He, he brought this new camera with him, like to make him look all yeah, yeah. And like. And so we waited there, right? And that was back in '85. There, I mean, we didn't know, and he didn't know, like what a really right. a press pass was or wasn't. But like we stood there with all the other reporters. He had the pass, walked right in. I stuck on his hip. I got into both dressing rooms. Amazing. It amazing. It was See, amazing. That is, that is awesome. I love that because back in the day, even my earliest NHL press passes, they're little laminate things. Right now, it's got your ID. And, but back then, dude, that, yeah. that like they would be signatures with hands and stuff. That is amazing. Yeah. See, I respect your dad. My brother's like that. If he wants to go into something, he just goes. He walked into the, the, uh, premiere of inglorious bastards here in toronto there's a massive line and he him and his buddy just it's like if you look like you belong yeah you can get in that is a, i mean i know my god that is like you got you got messier coffee gretzky you got everybody there right lemieux it, like eiserman wow. oh my god it was crazy man it was it was nuts and i mean and, and it was the glory days right like nine nine-year-old kid you know like that's like when the mecca yeah. is the mecca right like the, yeah. the players are huge and you're the biggest fan in the world and right so yeah that was a super special time for me that, and that's yeah what, that's what ken dryden says you'll never see the game like you see it as a 10 year old i try to keep seeing the game in my 10 year old eyes so i can realize how special it is but that's like that of that's that of the decade <laughs> category it's funny i met gretzky um that first time in 85 as well and it was uh, same kind of deal. Like I'm sure you're the only kid in there, right, running around. Yeah, but I remember. I wasn't yeah. really watching for him, but I assume. Yeah. So I, I met Gretzky. Uh, my brother and I, the Oilers played the Sabers in an exhibition game in Halifax. Is the Oilers' old uh, farm team? It was the Nova Scotia Oilers in Halifax? And after the game, Moosehead Breweries had a had a like a little reception for the Oilers and all the VIP old men who drink beer. And my mother, she's like your dad. She'll do anything for her kids. And she was friends with a guy named Donnie Morrison. And he got my brother and I in with the Edmonton Oilers. So we're running around like kids in a candy store with only two kids in there. So that's that's hilarious. You 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 did the same thing. And I was yeah, so I fun. was uh, eleven. Or just turning yeah. no, I was just turning eleven. So there you go. Doesn't get any better. No, I got to go back to uh, first of all, shout out to Picto. Like I sure you don't know, but I've been to Picto County, if you can believe that. Really, Pic Yeah. What's your connection? There's the old uh, Picto Mariners Junior C team. That was there you go. Family. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I dated a girl whose family was from there, the Chisholm. So you I, told I think me that. Still there. Yeah. You told me that. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I was down there. Unbelievable place. Fell in love with the Maritimes. I really oh, do. Yeah. Like, I mean, I love my time in Newfoundland too. And the people, yeah. the people in Nova Scotia were awesome. So yeah. it's cool that we have that connection there. Well, back to I wonder if the, that she was related to Sandy Chisholm, who was a defenseman. I can't, I could never be a weatherman who was a defenseman on the Picto Mariners junior C team. He had a big Cooper helmet. Interesting. So that's well, like 1983. That yeah. Um, yeah, and going back to your story, that's wild though, as an eight-year-old or whatever you said in novice to have to have that type of I don't know awareness maybe to be that yeah. wise to say yeah. uh, this isn't just for me. Like that's that's yeah. kind of nuts. I, I kept playing. I, I love playing, and I played as hard as I could. And it's funny. I a lot of guys I talk to, and, and you, I'm sure you've heard this. They'll say, "Get everything out of the game that you can as a player," and I did. And for me, it was high school hockey and midget C, and then intramural. Yeah. But I, man, I loved it. it. Like, just because I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to make the NHL didn't lessen my drive. And, and it's so sad, too, because I had this incredible drive, but I just, you know, I wasn't that good. My brother was really good. He played rep hockey and he played with a bunch of guys who went to the, to the show, but he just didn't have the drive. So we always said, if, 
if we could combine forces, we'd maybe have like a tier two junior A player, you know? <laughs> That's <laughs> that awesome. Kind of yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that whole, I mean, I've, I've taken that stance now when I'm talking to people and people are, you know, old, older guys are asking for advice, you know, like, should I go play pro? I mean, I'm only getting some in the East coast league or whatever the case may be. And it's like, man, there's so much life after hockey yeah. that you know, you're going to have, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you can really only play for a certain amount of time. There is, there is a time frame there that you can be a professional player or any type of player. So why not just go with it? You know, like uh, I've, I've sort of shifted from that. I mean, I left the game early from concussions yeah. and stuff and I was like, ah, oh, maybe there's more life, but it's, I don't know at 44 now and looking back, boy, that's a pretty special spot to be in. You know, I, I can imagine. I mean, I, I had a buddy, he uh, came out of Acadia and then he went and played for the Lubbock cotton Kings. And I said, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to go back next year. And he played another year. I think he played a little in quad city or something like that. And I said, milk it man like like you're 23 when i was 23 i didn't know what the heck was going on so just do it for a year or two and at least you'll have the stories but what's also funny is i mean doing these books and talking to older players and i, I do a lot of uh, alumni events with like guys like your buddy dennis Marouk and, and stuff like that and there is so much life after hockey and when when you and i think back to our 20s right it's a it's a great time but it's such a small part of your life and that is usually if a guy's playing pro, it's usually in his 20s into his early 30s. So that's what, 10, 12 years of your life, if you're lucky to play that long. And then when you're 55, you've lived 20 plus years outside of the game. And you, I'm sure some guys look back and go, geez, that's, that's, it either seems like a lifetime ago or it seems like it's two seconds ago. But for me, like I was thinking last night, you know, um, when I was a kid, right? And like, let's say, Let's say I graduated high school in 1992. You look at pictures of people on the wall from 1982, and they look ancient. Yeah. But as you get older, those 10 years get smaller, right? Because your life right. gets longer. So now 10 years ago is 2010, and I, I, I probably got this shirt in 2010, right? Yeah. Whereas in, in 1990, I wouldn't wear a shirt from 1980, but just things just get smaller. So I'm sure looking back, that window gets smaller as you look back on it as a former pro, but as a when you're 22, it probably looks like, oh, man, I don't want to sit and do this for five years in the minors or whatever, but I think it would be a pretty good time. But then again, I'm a pretty big hockey wannabe. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it because I, I've never really met anyone that says, man, I wish I retired earlier. Good point. You know, yeah. I've never I've never heard a guy say that, right? Like, I wish yeah. I was a dentist sooner, you know, or I wish, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like an, obviously nothing against a dentist or being whatever people choose to do after after hockey. But no one says, man, I wish I would have done this earlier. Um, so it is when you're in the moment, you have to be grateful for, for that. And it's hard to be grateful as a, as a mid twenties and as a teen and everything else, you know, what mm-hmm. you're going through, it is. but it is a real special place to be. And, and it's something that you just don't get back. There's no, there's no job like that. Closest thing I think is maybe a fireman like yeah. post career, yeah. right? Because of the camaraderie and stuff. Yeah, because you I mean you have a team, you're in you're in there, you gotta depend on each other. There's there's downtime kind of between games where they're they're working out and telling stories, and then when yeah. it's go time, it's battle time. And cool. you know, like it's uh it, it's a pretty good fraternity there. And well, it's not just men anymore either. There's a lot of women in the in the fire in the in, in that in that yeah. uh, workplace. But yeah, uh yeah, I, I I can understand why they why they attract a lot of hockey players into that sport. I mean, I'm sports into that profession. Yeah, it's funny. I got a friend, he's just like me, he was a hockey dreamer, right? Decent player. He uh, led our league in assists one year in the beer league because he would tell the ref second assist. So he ended up with like zero goals, 28 second assists. But anyway, he's like me, he's immature goofball. He's so his gig is he's, he's one of the guys on the, the, 
the team on Letterkenny. He's, he plays Boomtown, and he's mm-hmm. also a firefighter. So it works perfect because when he has to shoot, he just trades off days with the guys in the fire hall, and he gets all this time to, to go shoot Letterkenny or whatever other movie he's on. So, oh, yeah, he's, he's like that too. But, I mean, yeah, when I think, uh, when I think back at how long life looked ahead of me in my 20s, uh, and I see how a pro hockey player would look, probably look at the same thing. But the, I always found that, like, my brother's a stand-up comedian. And I always found that there's similarities between being a stand-up comedian, being in the media, and being in sports. Because as a comedian, you start small and pay your dues. And you work your way from club to club, hopefully to bigger theaters. Media, you start in a smaller market, work your way up, up, up. With rare exceptions. Hockey, you'll start your way in juniors, work your way up minors, up, 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 up. You're paying the dues. The rare person hits the top right away in every profession. There's always going to be an Eddie Murphy who shows up on Saturday Night Live when he's 21. There's always going to be uh, Sidney Crosby who shows up in the NHL when he's 18, 19 years old. There's always going to be a Kyle Bukoskis who shows up on Hockey Night in Canada when he's 20, 21. And then there's the rest of us. They're just grinding their way up. And, I mean, when I, I'm sure you have stories of when you're playing in the American League, you know, and uh, well, like like uh, T.R. and Linger having uh, a blow up blow up furniture in Fredericton for like six months, you know, like there's things you do that. And then when you get to the top, the NHL or be it Sportsnet or playing downtown Yuck Yucks for my brother. Well, you kind of have ni- nicer furniture and a stable house like the one I'm sitting in, as opposed to the apartments I rented when I was going across the country. So I've, I've always seen similarities be- in, in that climb up to the top. Right. That's a great segue into what I wanted to get into, which is you being the 18 year old kid who decides, you know what, I actually think this is something that I want to do. Uh, you start idolizing some of these guys that are on TV and maybe yeah. mimicking them and, you know, calling the games or whatever the case may be. How, what is that road look like for someone who wants to do that? You know, what, what, yeah. what did you, how did you know where to go? I wouldn't have a clue. Well, it was crazy. Cause I, I was, I was an outgoing kid, but then by the time I, got to be 12 13 I became this ex like introvert I guess is the word I was shy I basically was depressed from the time I was 13 on anxiety nervous about what people thought of me which is kind of strange given that I wanted to say on on a microphone to be a hockey announcer Mm -hmm. but I wanted to be a hockey announcer and I didn't want to be a hockey announcer so that somebody could say oh that's Kenny the hockey announcer I just wanted to be a hockey announcer so I was the guy that when I watched Hockey Night in Canada, sometimes I'd turn the volume down and do the play-by-play and by myself. Um, had to figure out what to do, where to go for school. Went to UMaine, uh, did the games there on the radio. Got out of school, had a journalism degree. So uh, it's not behind me, but I have like the, the journalism degree. We can get into the ethics of journalism later and what's going on in 2020 with that if you'd like. But I don't know if you want to go there. So And then you, you get out of school, right? I guess it would be akin to a a 20 year old getting out of major junior without a deal. Right. But he's, but he still has that drive. He doesn't want to maybe go CIS. He wants to give the pros a go. So, so you're, saying, I, you're, you're saying with the degree now, that's what you're equating to. So you got the degree, yeah. you went to journalism, you haven't yeah. been paid to do it yet. Is that, is that accurate? Okay. Correct. So I'm, I'm sitting on the side of the road. So what am I going to do? So like everybody else after university, I want to go back home, screw off for the summer. So I do. And then September comes and dad says, okay, get out. Well, get out of the house. So I had to find a place with a couple buddies. And I desperately wanted to get in. I had to pay some bills. I was telemarketing. I was calling people. Have you read the Chronicle Herald lately? Well, blah, blah, blah. At the same time, 
I started volunteer. I inquire at the channel. There's two. There was two channel tens at the time in the Halifax area. There was one in Dartmouth, one in Halifax. The one in Dartmouth did the games for the Dartmouth Olin Exports of the Maritime Junior A Hockey League, which were, were run by Jim Bottomley, and they needed a play-by-play guy. So I showed up, and I had experience. I was my tape was actually pretty good from college. So I get the job as the volunteer play-by-play guy. So I start doing the Maritime Junior A Hockey League games on Tuesday, and I'm telemarketing the rest of my time just trying to make money. And in January of 97, they st- this, this Channel 10 started a community news program once a week, and they had to hire three people for it. I was already in because I'd been volunteering. So they hired me at, at eight bucks an hour, 32 hours a week. But at the hockey games, you got free pizza delight. So that was huge. So I, I looked at it as, okay, I'm not going to get rich, but this is grad school for me. I'm getting paid to go to grad school because I'm going to get to do play-by-play. I'm doing news stories and sports stories in the community. I'm shooting my own camera. I'm editing my own stuff. I'm getting to anchor. So you get your reps in, do that. And I loved play-by-play. I absolutely loved it. Some of my best memories in this business are doing, you know, like a, a game seven, uh, Maritime Junior A, uh, triple overtime, Dartmouth Truro. You know, it was it was awesome. And from there, I did that for two years, two months. Tried to crack the Halifax market, couldn't get in. I mean, when I was 22, dude, I looked like I was 14. And moved to Calgary, got a job as a part-time news writer on the morning show. I wrote news from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. Monday to Friday, 10 bucks an hour, so my salary went up. And that I, I did that for three months, got promoted to full-time writer, eight months doing that, got promoted to videographer, you know, the kind of guy that goes and shoots his own news stories. Eight months of that, ah, got my break, got hired as the weekend sports guy. That's when I got the press pass, like your dad drew up, the Calgary Flames. So in Calgary, I went from weekend guy to weeknight guy, took a gig in Ottawa for two years, took a gig at Edmonton for three years, then uh, got engaged to a girl in Edmonton, who's upstairs now. She's my wife. We're not engaged anymore. She took a job. She took a job in Toronto. And in the 2008, at the height of the recession, I quit my job as an anchor at CTV Edmonton and moved to Toronto with nothing. My dad thought I was insane. I was making good money. It's a recession. But I had to follow two things, the, the lady I loved and the, the goal that I had in mind, the goal for me was I wanted to be uh, on, a, on a sports network. I, I didn't want to be doing uh, six minutes of sports on the six o'clock news anymore, being told, okay, you got to cut 30 seconds out of your sports cast because we need another 30 seconds for weather, right? I love doing local sports, but I wanted to be at a sports network. So that's yeah. that's what I did. So that was right before Christmas in 2008. I moved, uh, moved to Toronto and God bless my brother who let my wife and I crash on his couch for our best bedroom for four months while uh, we got a place arranged to buy here in Toronto, so. I've been in Toronto ever since. That's wild. So two things with that whole, uh, the history there. Is that is that normal as far as you wanting to be in front of a camera doing sports that you would start writing, that you would start in a back room somewhere and, and, and not in front of the camera? Mm-hmm. Um, at the time it was, yes. Uh, yep. You had to work your way up. So, so when I broke into the media, I was lucky because, you know, there's local stations in Lethbridge. Uh, there's local stations uh, doing sports in uh, Swift Current. I mean, now there's no local sports in Toronto, right? There's no local sports in Calgary. When I was in Calgary, there was A Channel, uh, CTV, Global. 
Shaw had a couple sports guys. So you can market hop, right? That's how you got raises. That's how you got street cred. That's how you got your reps. I, I feel bad for young broadcasters now because I don't know how they get their reps in because it's right. different. There's not as many opportunities to get on camera. So, yeah. So basically to break in, as Tim McAuliffe says, don't say no. You don't say no to anything. So I just weaseled my way into Channel 10 and then I weaseled my way into Calgary. And, when, and, and it's one of those things you have to make your intentions known, right? You have to go up to the news director when you're hired as a writer and say, hey, sir, I'd like to be on air one day. And they go, oh, yeah, they kind of laugh. You go, no, I would. So you, you, just, you just get in front of a camera somehow. So when I was a videographer and there was three people in our sports department, if one of them went on vacation, the other two had to fill. So the other two had to end up working weekends, which they'd hate. So I went up to them. I said, why don't you let me do it? And they're absolutely. So then I, you know, so then when it was time to hire a sports guy, I'd already done it 10 times. So, but yeah, most people start behind the camera. Um, for me, uh, I had to do news for a while. And I looked at that as a penance, as a payment. Like, okay, yeah. I got to count, co cover town council. Literally the circus is coming to town in Calgary and I have to cover it. So be it. I had to cover a nude stampede breakfast, you know, which was actually quite a fun story. Yeah. So you just, I mean, I, I think in hockey, nobody, nobody dreams of uh, starting their career maybe in the East Coast League, but got to do what you got to do. So you, you well, I, like that it, I like your, your uh, word there, intention, because that's something that I definitely coach and I speak to a lot. And it, mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's recognized as being as important as it is, you know, and allowing those around you to know what your dreams and what yeah. your desires are and where you want to get to. Uh, because just going and saying that, like you said, maybe he chuckled the first time, but when you're showing up there first thing in the morning and you tell him again the next week and you're yeah. doing the little things, like that guy becomes part of your dream, you know, he and he does. knows he's becoming part of your dream. And, and yeah, I mean, I talked to hockey players about that too. It seems obvious, but even at the youth level, right? Or guys who want to get scholarships, go to D1, talk to the people that are around you and tell them who you want to be and where you want to go. And exactly. they'll help you get there. I promise yeah. you they will. They will. At least they'll know you're interested. Like I tell all the young kids at work, they'll say, yeah, I want to be on air. I'm like, did you tell the boss? Because the boss isn't going to come up to you and say, hey, you should be on TV. At least in hockey, you can show your skills off, right? But yeah. if there's a scout, and he's, he, he might like the kid, but he thinks, oh, God, he's going to go major junior. But if he's scouting for college, maybe he doesn't give him that extra consideration. So, yes, absolutely. Now, I think no matter what line of work you're in, tell people your intentions. Tell people what you want to do. And you're right. If someone sees you and they like you, they will do their best to help you. They'll, they'll, I'll never forget the first time I saw Kyle Bukowskis. He came into work, and he's this young-looking kid. He's 19. He's in a suit. I'm like, I'm going to go talk to this dude. I went up to him. He's like, hello, Mr. Reed. I'm like, it's Kenny. And he's like, I'm Kyle. I went to school at, at Nate or at State in Calgary, and I'm out from out BC, and I'd like to be on air one day. And I'm like, well, you're looking the part, buddy. You're doing it right. And he, I said, tell you know, he told the bosses. He was 19 years old. He was so damn good. And he's still so damn good on Hockey Night in Canada. The boss is like, I can't believe this, but I got to put a 19 or 20 year old on my network. And he was so good. But he was so good because he knew what he wanted. He told people what he wanted. And importantly, he dressed for the job he wanted, not the job he had. He, Kyle played it perfectly and he deserves all the success he has. And, and like, I'm, I'm the old guy that, that, that he that he met at work and my first game my first hockey game doing live ringside the guy i called to, for advice was kyle like and he's just such a great kid and he's not even a kid anymore he's getting older yeah. but uh you have to let people know what you want and as oprah often says ask like yeah. ask 
don't be shy. And that, that applies to hockey. That applies to everything for me. Yeah, uh, I agree. Let, let people know. I agree. And, and, and I bet you Kyle also showed up. You know, I mean, that's one thing to ask. And I, I, that's come up in interviews here before. I mean, one particularly I remember with, with Brad Larson, you know, assistant yeah. coach of the of Blue Jackets. He's like, players ask now and they want to know why. And you'll give them an answer. And he's like, it's amazing that even at the NHL level, a lot of guys won't follow through with what they're supposed to do afterwards. Yeah, that's you know? so, Yeah. So that's the like, that's the loop. Right? You got to close the loop, right? It's one thing to ask, which is hard enough. People are sometimes, you know, shy. They're embarrassed. They're wondering about the judgment. So they don't even get there. But once you get there and you have the confidence to ask the question, make sure you follow through on what you're supposed to do. Right. That that's that advice is a gift, right? Like. I'll never forget when I was a videographer, I did a story on marmots at the Calgary Zoo. But I had just, I had only been in Calgary for six, seven months. I didn't call them marmots. I called them marmots with my maritime accent. The whole newsroom's busting up laughing when the story's on the air. And I said, what's so funny? They say, Kenny, say marmots. Marmot, marmot. <laughs> and so, that, so then like, you have to work on your accent. So I worked on my accent. Now, if I didn't work on my accent, but I, but I still have gotten wherever I, and maybe, maybe not. But like you said, right. if if Coach Larson gives a guy advice, take it, man. Take yeah. it. And and the other thing is, if that advice kind of goes against your dream, and, well, I wanted to be a sniper in the NHL. Well, you got to work on your two-way game. Work on it. Because maybe you're not going to make it there as a sniper. For me, I always wanted to be a play-by-play guy, right? But I'm an anchor now. But I'm still part of the, the dig. The, the deal, right? I'm not a sniper, but I'm still on the team, right? So there's different ways to to break yeah. in. Your your dream can still be your dream. You might just have to alter it a little. Sure. What I what I found compelling too is when you were talking there, you said you were anxious. You said you were. I think the word you used was depressed. You said oh, you were yeah. an introvert. Yeah. How how? And I think that it is the how if you're willing to get into it a little bit. Like how did you overcome that uh, and grow into somebody that feels comfortable on camera and isn't worried about what people think or yeah isn't as worried as what as worried as worried yeah so uh, it was one of those things right when when a lot of people try to be a sportscaster they try to be a sportscaster but the secret is to be yourself and to figure out who you are on camera which sounds easy but it leaves you in the most vulnerable vulnerable position because when people criticize you they're actually criticizing you they're not criticizing you as pretending to be ron burgundy right (laughs) <laughs> so you get your reps and you, you got to believe in yourself. So the, the more you do it, the better you get. It's like learning how to skate, right? Uh, the more you skate, the better you get. And I remember uh, cover, the first Flames game I covered, um, I was, I'm afraid of heights or was afraid of heights. And the, I don't know if you've ever been, if you're ever a healthy scratch in Calgary and you do that walk out on the old rickety catwalk and you go, it's awesome, right? <laughs> it's the old school, it's what a press box should be. It's like at, at, at Rexall place was you're looking right out over the ice. You're not way back and it's creaky and you got to like crawling on scaffolding. And I just said, I have to do this. I'm going to cover the, I'm going to, I have to be in the press box. So I did it. And being on camera was something I enjoyed. So that, that extroverted part of me came out. And I remember, I listen, I can tell you exactly the day it happened where I was like, okay, I, I think I can speak publicly and stuff. So Grade seven, eight, I was like, I would win the, the school public speaking. I would go to the pick the county thing. I remember in grade six, I actually did my speech on meeting the Edmonton Oilers. And I was beaten out in the pick the county files, finals by a girl who spoke about the spruce budworm. Anyway, I digress. So <laughs> fast forward, I become this 
this introvert through high school and grade 12, I emceed the, uh, the Picto Academy uh, Carnival Queen Contest or something like that. And I actually did a good job and I just riffed. I just went off the side of, seat of my pants. Uh, and everybody's like, whoa, Kenny's, Kenny did this, Kenny did that. And I thought, hmm, okay, that's validation that, for that. I can at least speak into a microphone. Because again, going back to your intentions, at the start of grade 12, uh, the school picks a reporting team that speaks on the radio once every couple of weeks, does the, the high school report. I wanted to do it. I didn't tell anyone I wanted to do it. So of course I wasn't selected because no one knew I wanted to do it. So then I was ticked off. I didn't get it, but how, how is anyone supposed to know a little shy Kenny who doesn't talk is supposed to do it. So I remember my buddy Scott Landry got to do it. And I was like, oh man, I wish I was doing that. But hey, I didn't tell anyone. So ended up doing this pageant, realized I could speak on a mic. First day university, go to the campus radio station. You guys do sports. Actually, the first day it was closed. Go back the second day. Where's the sports director? Oh, it's this guy right here. I'll never forget. Dude was laying on the couch. I'm like, I'd like to help with sports. He's like, uh, what sports you like? I'm like, oh, from Nova Scotia, I, I love hockey. He's like, you want to do hockey? The guy from hockey left last year. I'm like, yes. So again, let people know what you want to do. And then as soon as I got on the microphone, it took me a while. It, it took me years to figure out who exactly I was. But that happens. And now it's like, I'm, I talk to this camera the same way I talk to my camera in studio, the same way I talk to you over a beer. And it's, and, and you know what? People are either going to like you or they're not going to like you. So whatever. And at least if they don't like me now or they like me now, it's on my own merits. And, you know, people are like, oh, you got beady eyes and pale skin. I'm like, yes, I do, actually. And there's not much I can do about it. I also have a receding hairline if you really want to know the truth. But, hey, it is what it is. So I, I enjoy it. Um, I like being myself. Um, I, like, I like being nice to people. I, I hate analytics. That's the only place I can tick people off then. I was a, went on an analytics rant yesterday because of the Tampa Bay game. But, yeah, just learning to be yourself on camera. It takes, uh, it takes, it takes time. Uh, but I think, again, akin to, uh, akin to a player breaking into the pros. What, what kind of player are you? Who, do you? who are you? You know, you might think you're a goal scorer, well, you might be a defensive forward. You might think you're Paul Coffey. You might be, I don't know, Brad McCrimmon back there. You might be Mr. Stay at home. I don't know. So, But once you find out who you are, it's, it's a lot easier. Yeah, and do you find yourself trying to, or at least maybe there's some younger people coming up now, like trying to put themselves in a box, like who, who they are supposed to be? Uh, as opposed to who they are, because yeah. I, yeah. I, I assume my, my my wife was in was in acting in, in L.A. and and, you know, these conversations that you're sharing right now is is really what she had to figure out, too, is not necessarily trying to be what she thought she was supposed to be, but just kind of be who she was. But I mean, yeah. it's such a in your face uh, profession, right? Like you're seeing yeah. people who are on air, what they look like, what they're doing, you, you know, like, and it's a bit of a copycat industry, I find mm -hmm. in, in some stretches of the imagination. Yeah. So yeah, uh, was that a challenge to figure that? Yeah, to figure out who you are. I mean, I love Ron McLean. He's like my broadcasting hero. I can't try and be Ron. I mean, Ron is the smartest guy. I know he remembers everybody's name. And when I say everybody's name, I'm not talking about players. I'm talking about the mayor of Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia, and he meets their wife and their, their kids, and he, Ron remembers it. He's, this, he's, he's got a photographic memory. I'm not a names guy. I can't do that. So don't try and do that. Um, this whole writing thing I stumbled into. It was funny. I did an interview about this this book, and some guy goes, hey, hey cool kind of being – 
pigeonholed as this guy that writes books with short stories about ex-players. And I'm like, geez, am I, what's it called when you, you a typecast? I'm like, am I typecast as that guy? And I, and I kind of thought, I guess I am, because I never thought I'd get in. Yeah. Like, is Sean William Scott really disappointed that people associate him with Stifler? And he's not. If people yell Stifler to him, he's like, hey, what's up? Because it's better than, than not having your stuff out there at all. So, yeah, when I and, and it's funny, too, when when I look back at all the different broadcasters I've worked with and you mentioned it's a copycat industry and it is, I pick a little bit from here, a little bit from here, a little bit from here, a little bit from here. And I was always a goofball. And then when I arrive on the national scene, you know, I'm a goofball. and People are like, oh, you're like this guy because, you know, he was here before. you, And I'm like, well, if you actually go back and look at my old tapes, I've been a goofball for quite a long time. So, yeah, it's a. It's it takes a while to figure out who you are, and but you can take a little bit from people if that's part of you. But it's funny, it's you know that old fake it till you make it thing. I don't necessarily believe that because um, uh, if you're fake in my industry, you won't last. You can hang on for a bit, but if you're fake, you'll be exposed. Because um, one night the teleprompter will go down, and you'll have to do a whole show without it, which, which has happened. Um, I mean, if if you want to see it, just like a a Picasso work, go sit to the side and watch Ron McLean host Hockey Night in Canada, or or go watch uh, Jim Houston do play by play. Or you know, it's there's a lot going on that people don't see at home, right? Like for sure. And it's yeah, like uh, we have these things in our ears all show long with people talking as we're talking. I'm not like it's not open heart surgery. Let's not kid ourselves, but. It's it's a great gig, and once you figure out who you are, it's an even better gig. And I'll tell you this too, because when you are climbing up, and I'll say this: uh, when I started, I'm like, okay, I have to have a clean sportscast. I can't flub a word. I can't flub a word. I have to do this, and you're concentrating so hard, right? It's like you're over trying. Like I can't make a mistake on the ice. What happens when you play like that, right? You're gonna make mistakes. But then, as you get a little older, you realize, well, I am gonna make mistakes. So you just do your best, and then you learn to recover from those mistakes better, right? So that that becomes a factor. So now, like I used to be done of a story and I'd, I'd wait for it to come on the air and I'd watch it going, okay, I hope I say this right, I hope I say this right, I hope I say this right. I don't mean this in the wrong way, but I don't watch myself on TV anymore because first off, I don't really like it. And secondly, I'm, I'm confident in what I did. And if I made a mistake, I didn't mean, Craig Button gave me this advice one night, we were doing NHL on the fly and I screwed up and I was really mad at myself. He said, you made a mistake. I said, yeah. He said, did you mean to? I said, no. He goes, well, then move on. And that's kind of how you got to you gotta go about it. Because I think as a broadcaster, you will make mistakes. As a player, you'll make mistakes. And if, the sooner and the better you learn how to live with and handle those mistakes and recover from them, the more peace of mind it will give you. And your heartbeat will calm, slow down a little and you'll be better off. Yeah, 100%. As long as you start learning from them, too, and you're in an mm-hmm. environment where the mistakes are somewhat allowed. you know. Good point. Good we, point. We've always been in those scenarios where you feel that the first time you you drop the ball, you're gone. You know, what's and, that like to play for a coach and and you're going, if I screw up one thing, I'm dead. Like I'm nailed yeah. to the bench. That can't be. That can't be good. No, it's you hard. know, it's yeah. Hard. I, I've I've worked for people like that, and it's hard, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you are you are a product of the environment a little bit, but I mean, of course, the environment is the environment. You got to overcome that too. But I, I do yeah. think framing mistakes, how you just said, is not necessarily a mistake, and either not learning opportunity or something that's just going to happen. Like you're allowing yourself to do that frees you up in whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's broadcasting or or setting up a power play. So yeah. when uh, when you so now you're on Sportsnet, 
I, I would assume that's, you know, one of the taller mountains you, you could be on now in, in, in what you're doing. How do you get there? Is that, is that you get picked from a, from a bunch? Is that a tryout process, like akin yeah. to a training camp or how does that yeah. work? So um, I had sent tapes into both the uh, TSN, the other place, and Sportsnet for years, right? So, and you just, you hound them. You, you're just calling and you're, you're pestering, which is not fun. Um, again, let your intentions be known. Rarely are they just going to call you out of the blue, right? It's not like in uh, Anchorman where they say there's talent scouts and they go over and the guy's got his binoculars watching Ron Burgundy. I mean, they know you're out there, but you got to let them know, like, do they know you really want to move from Edmonton to Toronto or Calgary to Toronto? So I pestered and sent tapes for years to both TSN and Sportsnet, and I got nowhere with Sportsnet for a long time. They just, I just wasn't on the radar. So then I concentrated on the other one, and I got an audition at TSN in 2008. No, I got a call from them. The first time I got a call for them was, I want to say, like 2000 and when did I move to? 2004, 2005, 2005. But my buddy Brian Mudrick ended up getting the, the gig. And uh, so I moved to Edmonton to replace Brian. So Edmonton was really good. CFRN was this feeder station for, for TSN and Sportsnet. Uh, Ryan Rashog worked there. Uh, Tasha Staniszewski ended up working there. A bunch of guys worked there. So I was there. And then, and then when I was there, I got a call from uh, TSN and they flew me in for an audition. I think I was pretty much set to get hired, but then this hiring freeze came in. We're talking the recession in 2008, and that's when I made the decision to quit and follow Wifey to Toronto. So when I got to Toronto, again, no gig, call them up, pester, 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 pester. They said, you can be a, what did they call it? Field producer, which basically meant I went to Leafs practice, held the mic for the cameraman, asked questions, didn't appear on camera. So I did that, and I worked at CP24 as a sports guy here in Toronto. Eventually... Uh, they let me do reports for TSN and then I got a job voicing highlights for in arena for the NHL network. So they shared studios with TSN. So I would do the, the highlights of the St. Louis blues, Nashville predators first period. And they beam it off to whatever arena. Uh, one night they need a guy to do got a NHL on the fly. Cause David Amber couldn't do it. And Brian Duff could do it. So I do that. Did all right. Next thing I know, I'm the on-the-fly third-wheel guy. At the same time, the Olympics rolled around. Um, I'd been given an opportunity to be on air. And the only reason I'd been given an opportunity to be on air at TSN was we were going to Leafs practice, and something broke, and they needed a story on it. And they called, and they said, Ken, you got a tie? I go, don't got a tie, but I'm in a suit. So we stopped at Sears, bought a tie, and I did a story. Apparently, it was good enough. So then I'm a freelance on-air guy at TSN. And then... Uh, they needed an anchor one weekend. So I'm anchoring as well. So I'm anchoring there and I'm anchoring an NHL on the fly. And I wanted a contract. So I freelanced for a year, couldn't get a contract, literally called up Sportsnet, uh, went in and met with them. And a week later I had a contract there. So I, yeah, I had to let my intentions be known. Yeah. Like, like, just like you said, I had to tell people what I wanted, which is, as you know, it can be awkward, right? It's awkward to, to pump your own tires and, but I mean, I, I'm sure when kids go in on draft day and they do the old uh, combine interviews, it's a little odd. What kind of player are you? What can you bring to our team? That's tough to to pump your own tires. But at some points in your life, you do. You have to do that. Yeah. 
I remember one which uh, doesn't make me look very good now with the way my career turned out, but it, it was draft day and it was Winnipeg was the second last interview that I that I had the Jets. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and it had been a rough day for me in a lot of accounts because Brian Maxwell was my coach at the time and I had a, I had a relatively rough draft year. Like it was some crazy stuff. Couldn't get on the ice a lot of times. And so the, the I, I didn't know why there was a rift, but there was something that was happening between me and my coach that these other teams knew about, you know, like, so, the, and there was definitely people that were pro Brian Maxwell teams and there was teams that were anti Brian Maxwell. Oh, teams. Wow. And, and so when I walked into these meetings, the people that were pro Brian Maxwell, like, would essentially just rip me to shreds for you know 20 minutes and then I'd be on my merry way and it was kind of so it was an odd scenario right like walking in and not really knowing what environment I was going to be in and and by the end of it I was kind of getting a little pissy to be honest right because yeah. I was like you know this is this isn't that fun and uh, and I was being like I was trying to be gracious and you know just trying sure. to be honest and trying to be uh you know who I am and then I started to get a little irritated and then so Winnipeg I walk into Winnipeg and they and they're kind of giving me the raspberries again. And they're like, why should we take you with our first pick? And I was like, because I'm going to be the best damn forward in this draft. That's why you nice. should. You know, nice. and it kind of went on that stance. And anyways, obviously, I never turned out to be the best forward of that draft. But it, it kind of felt liberating to say that, though, right? Just to I be like, did. yeah, it, that's you why. Felt you, know? that. and, you felt that. Like, yeah. I, I, you know what? It's so crazy to me when I think of what you had to go through with the interview process with the what, 21 teams then or 24, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. As an 18-year-old kid, if you get to go for a job interview at Sobeys, you're intimidated. Now, can you imagine? Like, I, This is, again, that, that people don't consider about what you guys go through. So people think back to their first job interview when they're 17, 18. They think, wow, that was intimidating. Well, imagine being in your shoes and you go in and it's – it's first, it's every NHL team. And secondly, it's guys that you know. It's Mike Milbury, for God's sakes. It's, I don't know, Doug Wilson. It's, it's whomever. It's Brian Burke. That had to be just – I don't know how you guys do it. I, it had to be crazy. No, it is tough. And looking back now, too, like there was zero prep for that. Really, agents like, weren't none. Anything? I mean, I and I had one of the best agents in the game, right? Like Mike Barnett, he's one of the biggest guys. There was zero prep work as far as like what to do, like no reps. But that's no, what you're doing no, now, right? You're helping guys with this part of the game. Well, that like would that. be. I mean, I haven't helped a guy with the draft interview process yet, but I mean, that would be something 100 yeah. percent that would be on my radar. Is like, here, this is the process. Let's get in a roundtable thing. Let's. I'm going to fire you questions. You know, yeah. so you're prepared and ready. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was. It was. It was a tough environment for sure. And like I said, an 18 year old wow. kid surrounded sometimes. Like it's it's such a hostile environment, whether they're nice to you or not. But like you're sitting on a stool or a chair. And you're surrounded a lot of times in a horseshoe by yeah. men. You know what I mean? And they're like firing troops at you. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I would just crumble. I wouldn't know what to do in a situation like that, man. That, <laughs> that's wild. That is like, these are the things, right? And that's kind of why I write these books is I want to take people off the, just the, on the ice thing. I want to show them all this other stuff that guys have to go through. Because 90% of fans, 99% of fans, maybe 99.9% of fans, all we see is the game on TV on Saturday night. We don't see what goes into that and the, the gut churning and the anxiety of, am, am I going to stick with the team? Am I going to get sent down? Oh, my God, I got called up. I'm on the fourth line. What do I do? I'm not getting any ice time. How do I make an impression? So that's what I like to show in these books. Yeah. Um, no, and you do a great job with it too. So, like, there's so much more that goes into it than just being on hockey database, right? With your stats and things like that. Like, I'm I, like, like the stuff you told me, like, 
and the stuff people go through, it's just, and, and that's why I'm glad you're doing what you're doing because it's just like, I, I can't imagine like when, when you went to Toronto, like you said, you just show up and you're like, okay, practice is tomorrow. Well, what do I do? Like, it's just crazy. What guys. Yeah. There's yeah. no handbook. That's for sure. No, you know, no. Uh, you're figuring no. it out. You're young. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I want to talk about the books. I mean, geez, that's number six now, I think, right? For you? Yeah, like, I know, right? that's, why so that's, I the, that's why I wore the glasses for you. I wanted to come off as smart. Sweet. And I want to get there, but I went to one more sports. Oh, yeah, night, take time. Because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about the industry and I, I try to, which I've said here before, I do a little bit of research for these, but I really like to be as curious as I can so I can just ask questions and, and, and right. be authentic with what I'm asking. And the next one is Osmac, Ivanka Osmac. So you yeah. guys are on air together seems like you got some great synergy there uh i i mean that seems like a natural progression to like a line combination or a, or a defensive pairing yeah. right some people yeah. work some people don't how does that happen in your industry to see who works together and yeah. and, and and yeah and and if if there is kind of like the kingpin that's going to be there and then you have to find their partner or yeah. is it like you, you pair it up and you find two people that work well together or how, how does that happen? It was as simple as when I was hired, they needed someone to co-anchor the weekends with Ivanka. It was simple as that. And they threw me in there and it is just like if they threw you on a line with somebody and you click, you know what it's like, you get out there and you're like, Whoa, this is working. And for Ivanka and I, that was just what it was like. It was like, Oh, this is, this is good. She knows where I'm going up the ice and I make a little drop pass. And oh my goodness, she's there. I fall down. And, and in our case, it's a lot of, I fall down, but she's got my back, right? <laughs> she's supporting the puck as the modern players would say, or whatever yeah. the heck phrase they use. So she's a natural, uh, you think she's, she's, she's amazing. What uh, she does. Yeah. She's smart. She's like a trained engineer and, and she's a person that, you know, worked for two years as a, as an actual engineer. And, Again, kind of what we talked about at the start, kind of said, what am I doing? I don't want to do this. And, and took a 180 and became a sportscaster. Like that's something to tell your parents after you, you go to university and study whatever the heck engineers study, right? And it's funny, we talked about what we took in school. And she's like, I took, I'm like, took, I'm like, I took methods of teaching and coaching baseball and philosophy class. <laughs> like, like you should really do it all over again. But yeah, it's just one of those things where, um, yeah, they, like good management is like a good coach. They'll try to pair you up with somebody who works, but we just clicked and that doesn't always happen. Um, but it, it did in our case. So it was, it's very, very similar to clicking with a line mate. I'd say little to no difference at all, except no one's going to cross check you. That's about it. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. The, uh, and the fact that Ivanka is obviously a, a, a female in a male well, less male dominated, but yeah. there, there is a heck of a lot more women that are on the air now mm -hmm. and which is obviously greater diversity and diversity has been such a topic, you know, in, in recent months, uh, you know, it's kind of been, been bubbling for a long time. Do you, like, I know you're obviously, you can't directly re relate, but how is it, would it have been for Ivanka, like coming up as a female in this sport? Is it even harder or is it easier well, in some, in some, uh, in some weird way? It's funny. Like she'll tell you, and, and I, I don't want to speak for her, but she laughs because she'll get all these people wanted to do stories. What was it like to break in? She's like, it was fine. Like <laughs> she, she doesn't, it never had a big, big roadblock appear in front of her. Right. I think for, uh, it's tough. Look, look, this is a tough, tough industry to get into. And when she says it's fine, 
she didn't mention she had to go to Aurelia, Ontario and work radio promotions and drive around. Then she had to go to Yuma, Arizona and work for Peanuts for a couple of years and she had to send in audition tapes to Toronto and eventually make her way to Toronto. It's a grind. So I think uh, for me, um, I can only speak for myself. And it for me, it was fine, but it was still a grind. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid dreaming of being on Hockey Night in Canada, I didn't envision myself having to change the sign in front of Access Cable in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia during a snowstorm at minus the 10 up on a ladder, putting those old, you know, bingo cards up on the, the sign. But you do what you got to do. So for me, like I said earlier, I looked at it as two years of grad school. And you can either look at it as the grind or you can look at it as something that you're going to learn from and look back from, hopefully, with good intentions. Um, I'm sure Alexander Burroughs, when he showed up in the East Coast League, he wasn't thrilled, but now he looks back at it after the great career set he had as, and it was part of the grind, but it was also part of the experience that got him there. So just speaking for myself, um, there were days when I thought I'd never get out of Channel 10. There were days when I thought I'm never going to make a living at this. Um, what else am I going to do for a living? And I think a lot of people in our industry go through that. And I think those who just keep grinding it out, uh, most of the time, they're the ones who persevere because there's very few of us who just show up and appear on TV. It looks like that. It's like hockey, right? right. Where'd this guy come from? He's awesome. Well, well, he had to play in the minors for two years. He had to play junior for three different teams in the O, right? You don't see that until you I was just wondering though, Yeah, kind of why I brought that up is because I'm wondering if for, for all the female listeners of this uh, program, if that is a good avenue, meaning... I would assume that there's, a, and my assumption could be completely wrong, but I would assume there's more white males that want to do that gig than there is yeah. females, you know? I so like, and, yeah. and, maybe and, I don't know, but and these yeah. stations want to increase diversity. I would assume, yeah. right? Like they, they like that. And uh, so to get into something like that, it might, it might be an advantageous time to try and, you know, to, to try and get in, but I mean, it, I, could, it, it, it could be what I, what I tell people is I just do the, do the best you can. If you're, if you do the best you can, and the best you can be is to be in another market. That's cool. If you do the best you can and you end up on Sportsnet, that's cool. Um, just because you want to go into sports broadcasting doesn't mean you're going to get a job. Just because you want to play in the NHL doesn't mean you're going to play in the NHL. It kind of goes back to, again, what we said before we came on. Use it for everything you can get. Yeah. So for me, my hockey, the highest I got to play was midget C in high school hockey, man. And I loved it. Um, if I would have stayed the rest of my life in Calgary at a channel, I loved it. If that was my peak, that was my peak for me. I guess that wasn't my peak. I'm, I'm here now. This is where I want to be. Um, for other people, their peak might be a small town and they might find great joy in that. And that's fantastic too. Or it might be a big city or it might be a national network. So there's, yeah. there's all different kinds of tiers and usually you end up where you're supposed to end up. I find yeah, and I think that's, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll quote Kevin Weeks, previous guest on here, who's an NHL analyst now and, you know, for, former NHL goaltender, a former teammate of mine. And he speaks very eloquently about diversity and, and much, much more eloquently than, than myself. But yeah, I think he, I think he succinctly summarized it as saying, let's put the best people in the room. Period. Thank you. Thank you. We you know, yeah. and, and yeah. I think that speaks to what you're saying there too. do the best you can. Yeah. Let's put the best people in the room, black, white, brown, male, female, doesn't matter. Right. And and that's who should be in on the biggest stages. Right. And, and playing yeah. the biggest games. And I think that's a pretty cool way to put it. And I think that we are getting there. I mean, it I think we are. It's a, it's a grind. 
Yeah. Um, I'll tell you my favorite Weeksy story. So that year I was uh, anchoring NHL on the fly a few times. Uh, I think it was my second night. And they're like, you got to work with Weeks, Kevin Weeks. I'm like, oh, my God, Weeksy appears to be such a nice guy. I'd never met him. So uh, I texted Colin White. Remember Colin used to play mm-hmm. for the Devils? He's a buddy of mine. We, uh, my brother, hey, there's Johnny Sim who used to play with Colin growing up. And so my oh. brother played, my brother played with Colin and Johnny and Derek Walser and all those guys. Yeah. Like, I gotta, I gotta work with uh, Kevin Weeks tonight. Any advice? And Colin just texts back quickly. He said, watch how much he'll always be eating. Watch. And, and so I went in and sure Weeks he's eating. And I'm like, I just got to call, talk to Colin. He said, you're going to be eating all night. He's like, oh yeah. And Weeks, every break Weeks he's eating. So he was, man, I love that guy. He was so much fun to work with. And he's a kind of guy. Makes you smile when you walk into a room. Those are my favorite guys. And talk about having your back, right? Like I'm doing NHL on the fly for the first time. And NHL on the fly, for those of you who remembered on the NHL network, it was truly on the fly. There was no lineup. There was nothing. You come on at 8 o'clock and you go and you talk hockey. So you better know your stuff. You better do your research. Man, he he had, he was my safety net a lot of nights. He was a wonderful guy to work with. Wonderful. Yeah, he's great at what he does, and I think oh, is uh, he ever is he ever? Yeah, I think there's big bigger things ahead for him. I know he wants to get involved in the game, uh, you know, back in the game. Oh, like, really? Okay. From a team organization standpoint, and uh, oh, yeah. I, I know he's, he's on some right. team radars, and I think he was even up for the GM job for Florida. So I think he's you know, yeah. Florida. I re- I read that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd, be, he'd be great. Yeah, he's a good dude. I think he would be really great at it. What is it? Um, one more journalism question. And I, you talked about journalism sure. ethics. I'm not really sure if that's where, where this is going or may, maybe it is. But it, it seems like a tough spot to be in doing what you're doing, now, you know, with what happened with Cherry. And you, mean, you can go down and down the, the, the line of, you know, if you misspeak or if you say maybe an opinion that isn't quite the popular belief right now that there's this term been called cancel culture that, that kind mm. of seems to be happening. Uh, which almost also seems, which maybe is a second segue part of this question is like why things like these podcasts seem to maybe be getting more steam and more attention because you're getting people actually saying what they want to say. Uh, do, do you find it like, do you ever think about that before going on air that I, yeah, geez, uh, like yeah. this, this is, this is trouble, potentially trouble. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I mean, with, you have to, you have to be careful. I'll be honest. And on podcasts, you have to be careful, right? Because a lot of people get on podcasts and they think, oh, okay, it's just a podcast. Well, I got news for you. You got a microphone right in front of you. I got a microphone right here. It's being broadcast and it'll end up wherever it has to end up. Um, so you have to be careful. Um, people always say to me, how, how come you, how have you never sworn on air? I'm like, well, because I swear a lot. If you talk to me, you know, I'll, let, I'll let them fly, especially in the dressing room post game, a couple pops. I'll swear, but I've never sworn on air knock on wood or ikea glass um but you have to be aware um we live in a time where if anybody wants to criticize you or call you out on something you're a tweet away so just behave be nice if you behave and be nice uh i don't think you'll get into trouble uh if you do get into trouble and you're sincere about it acknowledge it uh i never in my life went on the air with the intention to get into trouble i won't i when I walk down the street, I don't try to offend anyone. So when I'm on TV, I don't try to offend anyone. Same thing. Uh, just behave yeah. like there's always, you know, and you're on that camera and you're going to slip up. You're going to make mistakes. But as long as it's not malicious, I don't think. Um, and I mean, there's a, there's a, like, honestly, when you're, when you're, when you're doing a show and, and you're dealing with sensitive topics, I always want to make sure that I'm, referring to people or groups in the way they want to be referred to, not how 
So it's it's sensitive, but I recognize that there there are some sensitive people out there. So you just you do your best, and uh, that's that's like honestly, all you can do is do your best. And I'm a pretty sincere guy, so I if I come off that way, and if I did make a mistake, I hope people would forgive me because it would it would never be in, never be intentional. Right. Yeah, it, I mean, those are all great points. I mean, just be kind, you know, be empathetic, do the best yeah. you can. Uh, I just hope that it doesn't get to a spot where everyone's saying the same thing. You know, that's like very true. Uh, that, that's very true for me. Like freedom of because speech that's is not, that's not real, right? So, so get this. So everyone, so here it, again, everyone's freaking out today because Jack Nicholas endorsed Donald Trump and he put a big message on uh, Twitter endorsing Donald Trump. Me personally, I would never vote for Donald Trump. But it's Jack Nicholas. He has every right to. Does that mean he's a horrible person? No, it doesn't mean he's a horrible person. It just means he differs from me that way. And we're at the point now where if you have a different opinion, you're a horrible person. That's not true. Like yesterday, I sent out a couple of tweets about analytics in baseball. I can't, I'm not an analytics fan. And if you're an analytics fan, that's fine. I have great friends who are analytics fans. I'm not an analytics fan. But then someone gets on Twitter and says, you're a moron. You suck. This is I'm like, no, I'm not. And neither are you. And social media has made it so we're all in such a rush to be right. And you have opinions. I have opinions. It doesn't mean they're correct. They're just our opinions. And it's just we live in this world where we're yelling at each other and screaming at each other. Jack Nicholas has every right to vote for Donald Trump. I have every right to disagree with him. But it doesn't mean, Jack, you suck, you moron. And if I my political leanings or analytic stance go the other way, it doesn't mean, Kenny, you suck, you moron. I'd like to see our society get away from just hating each other because our opinions differ. Because it, aren't different opinions, isn't that what makes us make the world go around? Like, what if we had a sports debate show and everyone just said, yep, he's the best guy ever. He's the best guy ever. Topic two, second best guy ever. That guy, that guy. It's no fun, right? And but but do it in a civil, civil way, a civil way, please, please. Yeah, That's agree. what I would beg of society at this point. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. we. Th I think the pendulum swung a little too far that one way. We're just we're all just trying to figure it out, right? How, oh, how it works. How it comes together. Can't wait for it. Just to kind of yeah, exactly. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you on that yeah. one. I, I guess we should agree on that. Disagree on that just to keep to make put a stamp on what we just said oh yeah, yeah. why don't we get into the book because sure. you you and i got connected i believe from terry ryan who's a, yes, who's a friend of ours and yeah. uh we're both fans of terry he's got a book out himself that's probably going to come on the podcast here he's got an amazing hockey story to tell and why not support him with with his book and uh and yeah, so we, we got in touch. You got me in touch with Dennis Marouk. It's been an awesome connection to meet you. But then you reached out to me because I was one of the guys that scored one goal. Yeah. Uh, and 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 ended up being included in your book, which here I got right here. Yeah, I know oh, nice. in the background there. But yeah, so there we go. Uh, I'm into page 130. I haven't got through all the stories yet, but definitely have read the majority of them. Did you read yours? Did you read your own yet? You know what? It was funny because it wasn't the first one that I read, which you would think I probably would. But um, nice. but my my mom had read it before me. And anyways, yeah, I have read it now. Um, Hope but, it's accurate. <laughs> well, it better be. Yeah, I know. I guess if it wasn't, I wouldn't be on here right now. <laughs> but let's talk about it. You I mean, let's talk about first. Um, 
maybe for those of you who aren't familiar, for those of my listeners who aren't familiar with your work that, you I mean, you've done six books. The one previous to this was uh, One Night Only. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that because this is obviously sure. seems like it's, uh, you know, it's a connect connected to that one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it goes back to what I said about being a dreamer, right? When I was eight years old and wanted to play in the NHL. And, and when I realized I wasn't going to, I still dreamt about it, right? I never let that go. And to this day, I look, and it was, again, we discussed about looking through the ho- to hockey through the eyes of a 10-year-old. To this day, I really try to make a point to keep doing that. And I think for the most part, I have. And that's what's led me to writing these books. I'm out in the backyard shooting on the net with my kid, and I'm still part of me thinking, you know, it's game seven. Can I snipe? And so I always had the utmost respect for guys who made it, even for the smallest snippet of time. And, you know, Jason, there's a lot of people go, oh, look at that guy in the ice. He sucks. And he wasn't around for long. I got news for you, pal. He doesn't suck. He's way better than you. And what he's accomplished is incredible. So then I, I wrote this book one night only about guys who played a single game because I thought that was a great accomplishment. I wanted these guys to be respected. Give them a little love, right? Not a lot of guys get a little love. So that book did really well and what's what's better than one game how about one goal so there's turns out there's a lot of guys who scored one goal there's around 400 or so and of the 6,500 guys who played in the NHL out non-goaltenders 1,500 have never scored a goal so I I always thought scoring a goal in the NHL was cool but then I thought well that's a damn cool accomplishment and there's got to be some stories out there so I go through the list and there's some names I know and the stories kind of, I'm like, there's something here. And, and I'm like you, I do a little research, but I want to remain curious. So I'm basically just flying out to see the pants when I interview guys. And I wanted to know what it's like to score just a single goal in the NHL. Is it enough? Is it a tease? Is it the, sm- is it a, the, the culmination of your hockey journey? Is it a launching point? What does it mean? And to my surprise, I got a lot of different answers on what that meant. Uh, I often said for me, I'd have a t-shirt that said I scored in the NHL and I'd wear it every friggin' day. Uh, but I only scored a midget C probably popped about 25. I got to say, but <laughs> so I, I got a book out of it, man. Like, like what, what were you thinking when I called you like, Hey, my name's Ken. I want to do a book on this. We were like, who's this freak? Well, that's actually a really interesting question because there is a little bit of, I don't know what the right word is. <laughs> You have to come to terms. Like, I mean, it made me come to terms again, right? With yeah, with yeah. what that was all about for me. And I know that yeah. chapter in there. I, I like I said, I I read a lot of these guys' stories, and some of them are different, right? Some of them, some of the guys really never expected to be there. Some of them, yeah. right? Yeah. And they got that goal, and it is something that that's that's really near and dear to them. And then there's other guys like me, where it's like, man, I really feel like it was a letdown that it yeah. was only one. You know, yeah. that my career should have been better. So. For you to call and say, hey, do you want to talk about this? And then it's like, yeah. oh, my gosh, now I have to put this down on words or like get this really f- formulated. So it was it was a challenge and it was, yeah. it was, you know, being real and being honest and, you know, all those things that are great and exercise in um, in, in humility uh, yeah. for me. And so which, which I appreciated. And 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 that's what I think. What I like about your stuff, too, is that it is about the person, right? There's a lot of player stuff in there, but it's about the person. Yeah. And it's about kind of what they went through. And uh, and yeah, so for me to share that and for somebody to want to hear that story, I mean, it's the other thing is being grateful. Like, you know what? This guy wants to hear my story. That's yeah. cool. You know, why and not I, tell it? And I want, and when I did one, I'd only, and the same as this one, I wanted 
guys to know that I'm doing it from the wow, you you scored a goal as opposed to you scored a goal. Like I re- so respect that. I hope that comes through to people. And I think when I talk to people, and you'd know better than me, I hope that comes through and with my questions because for me, like I'm, like I I just want to I I think I'm a nice guy. I think I'm positive, and I want people to know that this is a really special accomplishment. And I also want you guys to be able to. I'm sure there's a lot of this guys in this book, Jason, who, who probably only told this story to their friends and family, right? Or their mm-hmm. local newspaper. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to give guys the, the respect they deserve. And, you know, I'm, I'm not calling to pump anybody's tires. There's guys who dealt with crap, too, and you got to put that in there. But I think it's a pretty cool thing that, that you sniped the goal in the NHL. No, I, I, I'd like to do it. And even you know? like what you said there, uh, as far as like the f- 5,000 people in the history of – you know the nhl have have scored a goal in the nhl like that's not yeah. very many people 1500 didn't Some yeah. Guys, yeah i mean think about that think of how many people have strapped on the blades or played ball hockey or road hockey in this country and they've all had that dream and they're in the backyard when they put that orange plastic ball that would knock your teeth out as a kid and yeah. lead you deeply bruised in the 1980s when they put that in the net I guarantee at some point that went through their mind. Wow, I'm in the NHL and I just scored on, you know, Tony Esposito or whoever it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. And you guys actually did it. And I'm not, you know, it's it's pretty pretty great. Um, so, so I just wanted to show that. Cool. Yeah. And so a question. So you had 400 names. I mean, a lot of them, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, were, you know, from different eras. And I mean, many of them have died, I'm sure. So you you had... I guess a, a cross section that you could choose from. Like how, how did you go about even reaching out in the first place? Sure. So props to our Sportsnet stats guru, Steve Fallon, who immediately I asked him how many guys have scored a goal in this one goal. He, 10 minutes later, he's got the whole sheet printed out for me. So as you know, I do my books from personal interviews. So the deceased couldn't be part of it. Uh, also what's interesting is the list uh, grows, but then shrinks because if you get a goal one game and you get your first goal one game and you get your second two weeks later, you're off the list. So I concentrated obviously on the guys who are not in the NHL anymore because, uh, you know, if I call a rookie and he scores a goal a week later. So then I went down the list and there were some names who jumped out to me. I saw Dave Hansen. I'm like, well, I got to get a Hansen brother in here, right? I saw Dennis Bonby and I'm like, well, I got to get pro hockey's all time penalty minutes leader in here. I saw Frank Beaton, who's a legend down in Nova Scotia. I got to get Frank in here. Frank never beaten. Frank seldom beaten. Frank always beaten. Frank time to retire beaten. And then you just kind of go down and you look at the names. And I I come across a guy and I do a little research. And this guy named Mike Forbes. And I'm like, okay, he's a club coach in Michigan. He scored one goal for the 81 Oilers. I'm like, well, that was a stacked team. And I look up the summary for the game. I'm like, oh, my God. This guy scored one goal in the NHL, and it was assisted by Gretzky and Curry. That's pretty cool. So I call, I do my detective work and try to find him. And you know what the hockey world's like. I call a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Uh, I stumbled upon your story, and I'm like, whoa, look at this. Look at this guy. Oh, my God. He traded for Muller. There's something going on there. Uh, oh, Tier, but you know, you know, and Terry get, gives me your number. So I call you. And – Some of the interesting ones were I wanted some guys from the original six era because obviously it's not many of those fellows with us anymore. And so I look up this fellow named Les Kozak who scored and happy birthday Les. He turned 80 this week. And he, yeah, he, he scored a goal for the, the uh, Leafs in 62. 
So I thought, okay. And then it, it just kind of disappears. So I'm trying to contact this guy named Les Kozak. But whenever I'm Googling Les Kozak, all I'm coming up with is Dr. Les Kozak from the Jackson Laboratory in Bar Harbor, Maine, who's taught in university in Poland and lectured at Louisiana State University. He's the foremost scientist in this and this. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, kind of, and I'm like, that's not him. So I go in, I come back a couple days later. And that is the Les Kozak who scored a goal for the Leafs in 62. And I'm like, how many guys in the NHL now, if they scored a single goal, are going to go on to become world-renowned scientists? So I'm like, there's a story there. I call up Les Kozak. All I know is he scored a goal for the Leafs in 62, and his career was over. He told me how he skipped out on his final year of junior at St. Mike's to enter a monastery and become a priest, missed out on winning the Memorial Cup, forgot about the priesthood, went back, signed with the Leafs, got called up on a, after scoring two goals in Rochester on a Friday, scored his goal in his first game. Two weeks later, got his head crushed in the boards on a body check, still has a golf ball-sized hole in his head, went on to become a scientist. I'm like, this is way more than one under the G column on Hockey Database. So there's all these things that just started jumping out to me. And, I mean, you read the first story in the book about John English, if you're reading the book in order, and, and what happened to him was, like, I didn't think I'd be talking about a stabbing when I did this book, right? Like, yeah, I didn't. after the game, right? Oh, my goodness. So just awesome, wild stuff. And I thought I'd, every guy I'd talk to would say, oh, it's the greatest moment of my life. You know, I've got my puck over my fireplace. And that's it's not what happened. And that made the book pretty intriguing for me. Yeah, no, I think it's a good read, a uh, really good read. And I Thank recommend you. anyone going out there and, and listening. Because, I mean, I like the way you do it, too. I mean, you can read three yeah. pages and you, you get through one guy and you put the book yeah. down and, you know, come back to it later. Right. So it, yeah, it, I'm no, I'm no Shakespeare here. I know, I know my lane again, it comes back to uh, who you are as a broadcaster, who I am as a writer. My writing style is like, hopefully like me and you are sitting there having a beer. You're telling me to it. And it's kind of putting a story form. And again, I, you can't compare yourself to other writers, right? Like my favorite, my favorite writers are Stephen Brunt and Jeff Perlman. They're, they're like that thick, but that's what they do. Right. This is yeah. what I do. You can still enjoy them, and I do. I love I love their writing, That's but awesome. yeah, it's it's an easy read, right? What um, maybe just a couple? Like, what was your favorite story of perseverance from that one? If 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 somebody comes to mind, is if someone just oh exemplified okay. that trait? Lee Lee Sweat, a healthy scratch in the KHL. Um, That's right. I remember I read about him. Yeah, uh, undersized defenseman. Um, healthy scratch, career's over, ends up getting a contract back in North America with the Canucks, works his way up to Vancouver and scores a goal and next practice he breaks his foot and it all, you know, and now he's a, he's a money manager guy in uh, Colorado. Lee Sweat was a good story of perseverance. Kind <laughs> of uh, uh, perseverance. I mean, Frank Beaton, uh, Frank never thought he, he thought he'd play in the NHL as a goal scorer, right, as a kid. No, um, has to scrap his way to the league. Uh, and Frank is 175 pounds. He's fighting the heavyweights and he grinds his way to the New York Rangers and he scores a goal uh, for the Broadway Blue Shirts. And Frank's words at the end of the book, for me, it was like it was the perfect ending. Uh, so many guys in this in this book just just were, were grinders and grinded it out. Uh, like guys who, who never thought they'd, they'd make the, the league, like Rob Skurlak. I'm sure you and Rob crossed paths at some point in, yeah. in the American League. And Rob was a guy 
who was pumped to get a tracksuit when he was playing in the Rocky Mountain Junior League, right? Like, oh my God, I got a team tracksuit. This is the best. Never thought he'd play in the NHL. Made it all the way to the NHL. He might have the best goals per minute rate in NHL history. I think he scores on average a goal per 47 seconds, something like that, if you break his numbers down. But what I loved about doing this was there were stories of perseverance and there were stories of, you know, guys, I'm sure like yourself, like you and Kimby Dan, Kimby Daniels, you know, you guys racked up some points in junior, probably thought you were going to get more than one. And I think, I think you told me as much, but uh, yeah, there's, there's guys in here uh, like Joey Hishin, man. He's first round pick. I, I thought he'd score a ton when I was watching him in junior. He took that big hit in the Mem cup that year. And then there's guys who, you know, absolutely never thought they would. Then there's a guy like Darren Hadar. If I'm sure you know, Darren Hadar, he was a big time AHL scorer. If Darren played in this era, man. He'd be first, second line guy yeah. every night. So yeah, perseverance was a big part of it. But I also think that that perseverance is when you're told that you're going to be the, the next big thing. Like Jason, in your shoes, I think you persevere because I'm sure it didn't. Like when you're when you're picked that high and you're scoring in junior, you probably think your first one is the first of many. But to keep going to me is perseverance as well, right? Yeah, no, yeah, I appreciate that. It is. I mean, because you're yeah, you're doing. I think it's a different, I mean, it'd be interesting to to do it again through, you know, through the expectations of maybe somebody who is constantly striving to get to that next spot, you know, because yeah. yes. it, it, there's a whole different mindset dif- difference, right? As opposed to somebody telling you that you are going to be in the NHL or the, or the pundits saying that you're going to be, and that's where then you think you're supposed to be. And then you're yeah. not there. Like it, yeah. expectations is a, is a weird thing, right? For well, people, it, I think. It is interesting because what's harder, what's harder being told you're never going to be there and climbing it and trying to get there or being told you're going to be there and not being there just yet. Like what's the, yeah, what's the different question. challenge, right? That is a good question. That's, that's, um, that's, your, that's your next podcast. I love, I love you bringing up Rob Skurlak because we did play against him and he was in Kamloops and, yeah. uh, and again, I mean, Skurley's a, a great guy. I mean, I don't know him personally, but I, I've heard he's, I mean. He, oh, he, wonderful guy. Talk yeah, ton, tons of fun and, and, and super, super humble and first guy to laugh at himself. And yeah, uh, and like, that's a that's a hilarious story because like, if you would have told me in junior that Rob Skurlak and I would tie for NHL goals, I would have laughed <laughs> you out of a building, yeah. right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and there you I go, love- right? Yeah. And I will tell you one funny story with with with, uh, with Rob because it's one of my best minor league stories. He was in Albany, and uh, for those of us who know Rob, he has a pretty big bucket. He's got yeah. a he's got a pretty large head, and uh, it was this. He always had this this helmet. I didn't even know where they would find like the helmet that would fit him, right? And the he was a big guy and he, yeah, he he was a big guy and he was a fighter. But we were standing there for the anthem, and. Uh, and in the crowd, this this fan had a sign that said, "What would you rather have, a million dollars or Rob Skurlak's helmet full of nickels?" <laughs> oh my god, that's oh, a we good were, one. We were dying. We, it was like one. one of those ones that just like tattooed in my brain. That sign. We were uh, just chuckling. Everyone. Oh my goodness, that's but. awesome. I, I I love his story because he just. I love that a guy, and this is another thing that you want to write these books for because again these are things that don't show up in any stat line a guy like rob skurlak and a guy like al nazardine what they were meant to their respective organizations because rob was with the devils for a long time in albany and everybody on the devils by the time they got to the nhl knew who rob was so when rob scored that goal it meant so much not only to him but to everyone else in the room 
And when Alan Nazardine scored his one goal for the Pittsburgh Penguins, he'd been in Wilkes-Barre for years, uh, being a mentor to all these young guys coming up. It almost means more to the other guys in the room than it does to them. You know, like there's yeah. so, and that's one thing I, damn, I love about hockey is how much the guys just like, how much the success of another person means to them. I think that's a special thing as opposed to some other sports where it's maybe a little, it's a team sport, but maybe it's a little more individualistic. Yeah. Or even other professions. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And that's where the culture of it comes in. I mean, it's not always in hockey either, but sometimes you're in a spot that gets it, you know, yeah. like, and, and the unselfishness is real. That's special. And those teams are successful. And just like a, just like any corporation, big business, when you're actually in an environment that you care about each other and you're lifting oh, each other yeah. up, you mean there's success there. So yeah, uh, I totally I, think that that that's relevant in all areas of life that when we get outside of ourselves and start caring about other people, oh, it, it make, makes it better. Absolutely, man. If you, if you care for the other person that shows in society today, right? If it's we, yeah. not me, it's a lot better than me, not we. I hear you. That could you're, lead us to a whole lot of conversations, but we yeah. won't grow there. You're, uh, I mean, you said it before. I mean, you, you think you're a nice guy. I mean, you are a nice guy and I think the way you write is relatable. I think you are relatable yet. You're in a position where you're a celebrity in some aspects, right? Like you're on TV, people who watch you see your face. I'm sure you walk down the street like an NHL guy and people wreck. Hey, that's Ken Reed. I'm sure you have uh, more conversations with random people than, than uh, my next door neighbor does. Let's say, How how do you go about handling that? Well, I always say, Jason, if you go to a celebrity golf tournament and you have to put a pin on that says celebrity and Ken Reed under it, you're not really that famous, right? Uh, I don't know. I just, my wife's more paranoid about it than I am. Like we walked by a kid the other day going down the street. My wife said, the kid said, oh, that's Ken Reed. And I'm like, I guess I have to be careful about how I behave. But no, if people want to come up and talk sports, I'm thrilled to. The strangest place I got recognized recently was... uh, in the underwear section at Winners in Belleville, Ontario, while I was wearing a mask. Guy's like, Ken Reed. I was like, what? He's like, I recognize the voice. I was like, yeah. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, buying some gitch, getting some underwear. <laughs> he is a nice guy. So we had a chat. But no, it's, it's, it's a thought. Look, people who say that it's not cool when somebody comes up to you and knows who you are and wants to talk to you, they say that's not cool. They're full of crap. It's, it's flattering. It's an honor. So, if people know me through my work, that's, I consider that a blessing. So yeah, it's, it's nice, but sometimes you got to remind yourself that even though people aren't coming up to you, they may know who you are. So, you know, like the wife says, no, no swearing, you know, I curse a little bit. So, so you got to be careful around kids and stuff like that. Like you can't road rage as much as you might want to things like that. But um, again, the words of audio slave to be yourself is all that you can do. Does it so, make you more it, empathetic to the players that you're talking to because you've oh, kind of God, experienced yeah. it on your own end? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I'd like to think that I'm pretty empathetic when I talk to players. Like, again, we are in this world where you have to draw a line in the sand. Who's right. Who's wrong. Who's to blame. There was this classic old kids in the hall skit mm-hmm. and it was the day of the softball company turn softball company, softball tournament. And the boss was pumped and he looked out the window and oh, it was thunder and lightning. And all he said was, who's to blame? And he went around the office looking for who's to blame. And we're in a culture where you're, to, you're either the hero or you're to blame. And I, I think it's a little more gray than that. So I think, yes, we should exercise some empathy. Um, nobody means to cough the puck up in the final game of the Stanley Cup final. You know, nobody means to make an error. It happens. So be empathetic, you know. 
But yeah, but but when somebody comes up to you and they know who you are and they want to chat, I that's that's very flattering for sure. And but it doesn't happen as often as you might think. Right, right, right. No, I got you. Yeah, I just think it's. I mean, I, I, my my head goes to some of these stars now, and you know, some of the stars of of old, like Wayne Gretzky, who just always seemed to be on. You know, oh, like always yeah. seemed to be on, and always had a time, and could always create a moment. And uh, and yeah, I just you know. We're all entitled to that. You know, like it's it's so cool. It's like to and, and those are the examples. And I think when you're around it and you've seen it, obviously, right? You've seen yeah. the guys that are good at it and you've seen the yeah. guys that aren't. And uh and when you have that model, you know, I mean you can step into that a little bit in your own way, I think, right? Well, mama always told me, be like Wayne Gratsky, humble and kind. So she still says that. She's like, Don't get too high on yourself. But writing a book with Eddie Shack, that was awesome because at book signings, or when Eddie and I were in public together, and it was usually at book signings. He always gave people a moment. And that's why Eddie Shack resonated with kids from eight to 80. Eddie Shack, I'm convinced during his old timers tours, he's played in every rink in Canada and everybody has an Eddie Shack story. And Eddie gave people a moment, whether it was for 30 seconds or 30 minutes. And Eddie knew that when people came up to him at that book signing, he knew that they wanted just that little bit of Eddie Shack. So he gave it to them. How you doing? You know, what's going on? Look at that hat on you. Like he gave them something every time. It was never. Oh, thanks for buying the book. And he signs the book. Eddie gave them that. And people left thrilled. And for Eddie to take the time to do that, and I'm no Eddie Shack. I'm not on that level. But if somebody wants to talk to me and I can give them a moment, I'm more than thrilled to. I'm happy to. So That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love the book, man. Uh, thanks, I really appreciate you caring enough to... You know, to even call and, well, and, vice, and vice versa, buddy, vice versa. I mean, you could have hung up on me when I called for a, an interview, right? If not for a good friend and that good reference of Terry Ryan, yeah. we'd, be, we'd be done, you know. Yeah. But, so, so, I, I mean, I hope it continues to do well. I'll definitely uh, be pushing it here after and, and, and get uh, and get people well, out there and buy it. Great Christmas gift, too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, well, the other reason you do a book with 39 different players in, think about this if those 39 players get 20 family and friends to buy that book, you're already at what close to I don't know whatever math 600 sales. I mean that's that's just good math. That's good business, right? That's right. So you know if everybody buys the book, you're 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 in good. But yeah, this was this was a fun book to do, and this was uh, you know that's a good conversation, man. We went went a little deep. I like that. No, yeah, that's the way we roll here at Up My Hockey. Try and try and figure out. There's always connections too. I mean, I, I love that you're talking about intention. I love you're talking about being a good person, and we talked about caring about each other, like putting in the reps too like yeah. all this stuff is yeah. like so transfers like to oh. the players that are listening um, right it like, does it ever like the more yeah. i think about it the, like the reps work at it man i think it, it, it what's so funny and it, this is our industry and this is hockey as well and, and i think i referred to it you know you pop up on tv oh where'd this guy come from he's why, why wasn't he here before because it took time why wasn't this guy on the team before because it took time right very few of us just show up and rock and roll from day number one and and you and you don't see that and that's that's uh that's what i like to show in these books and that's what i like to tell young broadcasters and i'm sure it's what you like to tell young hockey players it takes time everybody listen everybody wants to show up and win stanley cup in their first year or play in the nhl in their first year um no offense to any ahl markets but very few of us grow up point want, dreaming to play in the east coast league or the ahl but it can still be a wonderful thing i'm sure right playing playing midget c for me i didn't grow up dreaming of playing midget c when i was eight i wanted to play in the nhl but man playing midget c sure was fun you know 
I had yeah. a great time. You know, doesn't mean yeah. it's- big dreams happen with big accountability. Ah, right? I mean, like, very nice. you know, a lot of people want to do it is all I'm saying. Right. But not many yeah. people are prepared to do it. You know, yeah, to do what that's it takes. True. So that's true too. That's, uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's also true in my industry because uh, in, in our industry, I mean, it's a grind and you got to take that job you don't want. And a lot of people in our industry just don't want to take the job they don't want and go do something else. And that's fine too. That's fine too. Things, things change. It's not everything is for everyone. And just because you think something's for you, you might find out it's not, but it might open, might open another door as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, look at me, what I'm doing right now. I mean, it's <laughs> exactly. Did you envision it, yourself doing this? Well, it's kind of, you know what? That's so, I didn't even tie that knot, but what a great connection because you know, if I wasn't in your book, if I wasn't the guy who scored one goal mm-hmm. and I did have a thousand game NHL career, I probably wouldn't be behind a mic right now telling other people's stories and what it takes to get there and, you know, sure. all, all that kind of, all these kinds of things. So, I mean, it's yeah. amazing. I, I, I appreciate that. And that is a connection to what we're doing now. And maybe this was maybe more what I was meant to be than being that NHL or that, that we were talking about. Exactly. Uh, me too. Right. Yeah. And I uh, dreamed, then I dreamed of being the play-by-play guy. I wasn't that. Yeah, and I all I also think that, um, and I said it early. You kind of after a while, I think you kind of fit into that where you're supposed to fit in. You know, we spend a spend a lot of our time, maybe in our 20s and 30s as well, trying to trying to chase that one thing we think matters. But sometimes that one thing will lead us to be where where we're supposed to be, right? I mean, I think that's that's a good way of looking at things because, I mean. I never thought I'd be living in the East End of Toronto and, you know, I with with two kids and a, in a brick house, but I'm happy to be here, man. That, that's, yeah, that's what happened. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Well, you have been a great guest. I love the stories. Uh, Thanks, Very Jason. relatable. And, uh, and I know the 39 stories in there uh, that, you know, it's worth it because there's going to be a couple that are going to move people too, right? Like there's there's definitely some stories in there that are that are really compelling and, and yeah. people will be able to connect with them for sure. So. Go out there and grab it. Support uh, support one of our locals, a Picto native. Of, That's right, uh, baby. Picto, yeah. Nova Scotia. But I, I, seriously, huge thanks to you and to all the 39 guys who took part in the book because that's the thing. I mean, you you don't make much money writing in Canada, but you guys all just took your time out of your hearts to do this. So I, it, there's no book without the guys in it. That's for sure. My pleasure, sir. And with thanks, that, we'll, we'll cut her off. Thanks again for being an amazing guest. And, thanks, buddy. Uh, next week... We got Jerome Aginla. So you're before Jerome hey. Aginla. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, so, so I'm really excited about Jerome. I'm interviewing him this Sunday, can, so he's going to be episode 41, so that'll be can, great. Can you tell Jerome, before we go, one of my favorite hockey memories, one of my favorite hockey memories. So first off, I was I was covering the Flames and started covering the Flames in 2000, 2001. I, Iggy was maybe 23, whatever. So I got to see some great Jerome Aginla hockey. Yeah. One of my favorite memories was going to Father David Bauer Arena to cover the 2001 Olympic training camp. And Jerome McGinley is running in the rink. And I, I, he probably won't remember this. I was like, what are you doing here? And he said, they called me last night. And he had to drive down from Edmonton to Calgary because he was a last-minute substitute for someone. Yeah. And that was the season. Jerome just went on a tear. That was his 50-goal, first 50-goal year. Made the Olympics. And just tell him he won't remember me from Adam. But please tell Jerome what a class guy to cover. And he made everybody feel welcome at the Saddle Dome, which was a special thing to do, especially for media, because people may not realize we all you saw you saw them strut in there at the All-Star game with their chests out going in the interview, guys. There's a lot of guys who are nervous. 
And as a young guy, I was nervous. If I went down now, look, I wouldn't be nervous anymore because I'm an old guy. When I was 25, 26 years old, I was pretty nervous. And he he made you feel like you belong. So I am a huge Jerome McGinley fan. So uh, yeah, way to go, Jerome. Yeah, he's tough not to be. And I'm sure I'll get into that huh. on, the next, on the next episode. But like I was actually thinking about like in the prep work for him. And I mean, he's my peer, right? I played against him in Kamloops. So it's not like... You know, it's not like Mario Lemieux was for me, but when I look back sure. on like what Jerome has accomplished, what he stood for, how what he represented, as far as even being a Canadian player, like I just think he exemplifies the Canadian hockey player. That if he I does. was the poster boy, you know, like hey. he played hard, he played gritty, he was a good leader, he's a good person, he took care of others, he could score goals, he what could a fight. teammate, what a teammate. You know? He wore an like, XL seven in minor hockey, man. So did yeah. I. You know, like yeah, right. he would. Like he would go when the team needed him to go. He didn't go for himself. And yeah, uh, yeah just uh, man, what a what a career. And uh, just what a what a great guy. And further proof. And I've said this forever. Jerome McGinley is further proof that there's no such thing as a bad person from St. Albert, Alberta. Everyone, <laughs> everyone I've ever met from St. Albert is like the nicest person in the world. I don't know what it is about that place, but it's, it produces good people. Yeah, we're gonna get into the grassroots and everything. So, anyways, we'll we'll save that for next time. But um, thanks, buddy. Excited to have Mon. Excited to have you on. Thanks for spending your time with us today thanks, and sharing your, sharing your stories. And uh, till next time. Thanks, Jason. See you, Ken. Thank you so much again for being here with us today for episode forty with Ken Reed. Ken, thanks so much. If you're listening, uh, really enjoyed that conversation. I know there'll be more in the future uh, between us. Uh, Always pleasant, always a good laugh and bring a smile to my face. Uh, for those of you who stuck with us to the end, really appreciate it. I mean, there's lessons, right? I and mean, that was the thing that I, I kept, you know, bringing out and hearing in, in the conversation is that, yes, we probably are directly associated to hockey if you're listening to this. You're a yourself, you're a hockey parent, you're a coach, and we're wired that way. How do we perform? You know, how do we get better? How do we get to where we want to go? Yet when we listen to a story like Ken's, the parallels are the same. And that's why it's good to get outside of your lane sometimes and to be interested in somebody else's story and somebody else's you know, trip to, to the top. And, and with Ken, right, we talked about intention and we talked about perseverance. We talked about saying yes, you know, doing the things that maybe other people don't want to do while letting people around you know what your true intention is. And, and uh, for Ken, that was, that was his story. He took jobs. You know where maybe others wouldn't he did things that maybe others wouldn't do but he let people know along the way where he expected himself to get to and when you're persistent and when you put in the reps good things happen uh, i love the part about putting in the reps same thing for hockey players put in the reps if you're passionate about something it doesn't feel like work so if the passion is there if the goal is there put in the reps make your intentions known and people are going to get on your bandwagon People are going to get on that train. They want to support dreams. Uh, coaches do. Uh, you know, teachers do. Bosses do. Whatever line of work you're in, people like to support success. It's a human characteristic. So yeah, intentionality is really big, and following up with the accountability to be able to to follow up on the actions required to get to where we want to go, what we say we want to do, uh, really makes you authentic, and it makes makes you have a level of integrity that other guys uh, and girls don't. So thanks again, Ken. I love the lessons there today. And uh, till next time, which is, by the way, Jerome McGinley, uh, play hard. Keep your head up. <laughs>